food is a drug. So it's like taking medication and there's a side effect to everything you put in your body. Welcome to The Work In Between, the podcast that explores the daily habits and actions that get us to our health-related goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight, improve your mental or emotional health, or working on your spiritual health, you're in the right place. In 2021, I was diagnosed with diabetes and was morbidly obese. I was already a three-time cancer survivor, so I knew I had to do something to turn my life around. So I did. I lost over 100 pounds. I transformed my life inside and out and am living my best life. I want you to live your best life too. Thanks for stopping by and checking out my podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Gretchen Holmes, and this is The Work In Between. So I don't know about you, but there are days when one simple thing goes wrong and it cues all the negative self-talk. And I mean all of it. The tapes in my head are so negative and so loud, I feel like I can't do anything right. Intellectually, I know better, but they can be powerful. No matter what I do, they stay on repeat. And I'll be honest, I can work myself into a pretty negative headspace. I'm sure a lot of you can relate. So how can we quiet the negative self-talk, turn it around so that we get out of our own way? I know my guest today will have some interesting insights and definitely some answers for us. On today's show, we're exploring self-talk and prioritizing self-care and the actions we can take to be more positive so that we can reach our health goals. My guest today is Dr. Devin McNair a behavioral health specialist with over 26 years of experience in the healthcare industry. He's a licensed professional counselor with a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in counseling, and a PhD in clinical health psychology. He's currently working on his master's in clinical psychopharmacology. He's a positive psychology coach and works with healthcare providers who are starting or expanding their professions. He is currently the director of behavioral health for graduate medical education for the Family Medicine Residency Program and adjunct faculty for the Psychiatry Residency Program at Northeast Georgia Medical Center in Gainesville, Georgia. Previously, he has worked in private practice, psychiatric hospitals, counseling centers, and multiple medical programs, including those with chronic pain, cardiovascular conditions, and obesity. Devin is a native of Georgia, is married with two children, and he is a practice-what-you-preach kind of guy and wants to leave a legacy of making a difference. Welcome to the show, Devin. I am so excited to be here, and I am so excited about this journey. And what a great topic to start with, because I think we can all relate with this. I think so, too. And full disclosure, Devin is a buddy of mine. In fact, we started on the same day's day at uh, Northeast Georgia. We had our offices across from each other, and we immediately became coffee drinking buddies. My favorite. I'm already two cups in, so we are good. <laughs> yes. And it was such a great way to start the day. No question about it. But I really am excited about this because I don't think people will take a deep enough dive into all of these issues that get us in our, that I think this is a really important topic because I don't think anybody really takes a deep dive into the negative self-talk 
that causes us to get in our own way. Most of us, when this happens, it's really hard to get ourselves out of it. And I do know that as I was losing all the weight and going on this journey that I've been on, that the mental part of it was way more important than the physical part of it. And so that's a lot of what I want to talk about today. So as I mentioned in the intro, our negative self-talk is so loud sometimes, and it only takes one thing to set it off, and then off we go into this downward spiral. Why is that? Well, you know, I think it's a great point, and I... I think we can go in a lot of different directions here, but I think the most important point to consider here is that negative thinking is natural. It's normal. We all do it. However, there's a lot of pressure that we're not supposed to do it. You know, we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be beautiful and good looking and financial freedom and just everything is supposed to be wonderful. And even the research on when people are happy, you know, that it's time limited. So the negative thoughts are innate. They're built into us. However, some people have some more or less and it could be a season, it could be contextual, it, it could be a lot of things contributing to it. Ultimately, what we even know from neuroscience is that our brain is wired to have negative thought. It's an evolutionary protective mechanism. And sometimes it works too good. And for some people, it works way too good. And it can really shut us down and it can be devastating. But the negative thoughts have a protective factor. So if we kind of looking at this as a genetics or evolutionary approach, we're wired to protect ourselves. So when something happens, we want to hold on to it, especially when it's something negative or life-threatening. And so our brain really does a great job of holding on to it, replaying it, making sure that we're safe, we're okay, and maybe even protecting us from it do, you know, happening again or doing it again. There's a uh, neuropsychologist that his name is Rick Hansen. His book, one of many, is called Hardwiring Happiness. And he does a great job of talking about this, especially even in the field of positive psychology. And he says negative thoughts are like Velcro. So they, they come at you and they stick, and it's hard to peel those things uh, apart. Uh, and when positive things happen or positive thoughts occur, they do have an impact, but it's kind of like being hit with Teflon. You know, they positive thoughts being liked hit with Teflon and that it just hits and it kind of slides off. And so it doesn't stick around as much because we don't have to have the positive thoughts to keep us going. It's nice, but the negative thoughts are survival in nature. And then even further, if you think about offspring, right? So if you have kind of a silly example, maybe, but let's say you and I are going way back when there's saber-toothed tigers, right? Or there's these dangerous environments. You go up to this rock and you're behind the rock. I'm, I'm behind the rock with you. And I go, look at that cute saber-toothed tiger. I'm going to go pet it. All positive. Well, I'm, I'm going to die, right? Yeah. So no offspring for me, right? Yeah. The positive, fun, you know, careless. So I'm, I'm not going to be able to procreate. But you, uh, ooh, don't, that. Uh, can be dangerous, right? Don't don't go pet it. And so you live, you hide behind the rock and you get to have offspring one day. So even from an evolutionary perspective, these negative thoughts occur. I do think there, I believe that there is a definitely a survival instinct here. I do find it interesting that one simple thing that happens during the day can trigger us into this landslide 
for the rest of the day. And it's just hard to get out of it. And maybe later when we're talking about weight loss or trying to reach other goals, maybe we can come up with some, or maybe you have some suggestions on how we can kind of break that cycle, because I think that's where we all get a little bit tripped up because of course we can't all walk around being super positive all the time. That that toxic positivity that a lot of people are talking about now, that isn't healthy either, but that's just swinging the pendulum all the way to the other side. I do think it's interesting. You did you said something about sometimes the negative thoughts can work too well. What did you mean mm-hmm. by that? It can contribute to anxiety. Uh, it can shut us down and we just become stagnant. And some of those negative thoughts, even like what you're saying, you could have a negative thought and then you ruminate all day. Like it just replays over and over again. And it starts to really put this negative lens on the, the things that are happening through the day. It's kind of like putting on a pair of glasses that can only see the negative. And so certainly great things or good things are happening, but we can't see that. But even going to your pendulum, it's so true. You know, there is a middle ground where we can have these negative thoughts and be able to navigate and move them. And if not a lot, and there's a lot of different techniques. Part of my training, I don't think I mentioned in my bio is in cognitive behavioral therapy. And it does just this. It it looks at thought and identifies what thoughts are in the belief systems that we develop over time and how that can work for us or against us. And I, with thoughts, with negative thoughts, positive thoughts, they're they're based on beliefs and experiences. That can go into what we've experienced to be true, so now we believe it, or even beliefs that have been ingrained in us that may or may not be true as well. You know, we could have been raised uh, in, in a home where we're told that we're no good, we'll never amount to anything, and so that can adopt our belief and put on those negative lenses. And so when good things are happening, we just don't see it. Maybe outsiders could say, oh, you got a great life, and we could be in that negative thought of, nah, you know, this new diet's not going to work, this new job's not going to pan out, and, and just have that negative filter. Or even, you know, on the flip side of that, uh, with that pendulum is, you know, maybe you can do it. You know, you're working hard and and this will pay off. And we may not know what that payoff is yet, but just trust the process, believe that things are going to work out the way they ought to just participate in life, do your part and things will evolve the way that they're supposed to. And so it's a different set of belief systems uh, that can contribute to gain or loss. Yeah. I'm, I am 100% in agreement. Um, I know In my case, when I started uh, losing weight and trying to figure out why I was eating more than I should be eating, I knew that was an internal inside thing that I had to figure out. And so I actually, I started therapy and which I encourage everybody to do because I think when people decide to lose weight, for example, it's that whole diet mentality. And the, and the second can't you, we screw up, we overindulge or whatever, then we start saying things to ourselves 
like, or I'm not, I never was this negative, but I hear a lot of people saying things like, I am so disgusting. I cannot even, can't even do this. I can't control myself. I'm gross. I'm ugly. Uh, all sorts of terrible language. And, and I see that a lot. A lot of people beating themselves up. They may have lost, you know, they've already lost uh, 15 pounds or 50 pounds. And then they they're, have a human day where things are not going well. They turn to food because that's what we do. If we didn't turn to food, we wouldn't have a weight problem. So we have to acknowledge that we're trying to adjust or change or have a healthier coping strategy. So it's not unusual to automatically default to eating. But some of the way people talk to themselves about this very human event is heartbreaking to me because I will tell you, you know, it's not easy walking around in this culture being overweight because you're wearing your problem for everybody to see. And the right. world can be really cruel. I've been told from perfect strangers, you know, that I'm disgusting or ugly or whatever. It, it's bad enough out there. I hate that people are doing that to themselves as well. So I'm why so much self-hatred? I guess is my question. You've worked with patients who have obesity, and I'm just wonder why there's just so much self-hatred because I maintain that we cannot hate ourselves or shame ourselves to good health, but we can love ourselves to good health. So why why so much self-hatred? Where, where does that come from? You know, that's a, a great question, but it all, you're, you're right, it, it does tie together. And the problem with most diet programs is they teach how or what to do, how to lose weight, what to do, what to not do, but they never get to the why. Why did you get here in the first place? And why do you want to get out of it? What will it take? And like you said, that self-deprecating statements, the thoughts, and when they're added in and supported by external people or situations, it's just a spiral downwards. So I think it goes into several things. I think about imposter syndrome. I think about self-sabotage. And I think about self-fulfilling prophecy is kind of a combination of what you're saying. And what I mean by imposter syndrome is for whatever reason, if we adopt the belief that uh, we're not worthy, we're not good enough, that we don't belong, we won't succeed, that that certainly goes into weight and health as well. And it, it goes in in two ways. Number one is a barrier to getting well. And number two, when you are well, it's hard to hold on to it because I don't deserve to be well. I haven't been this way all my life. And some people are really, they have side effects of actually getting healthy. And when I was working in weight management, one of the things that we ran into a lot was if a person establishes a body concept and body style, and now they're working on changing it and losing weight and maybe adding more muscle or whatever, it's a drastic change and people treat them differently. Just like you were saying, it, you know, they're shaming or whatever with the overweight and obesity, but now you've got perhaps people flirting and it's like, wow, I'm getting too much attention and this is uncomfortable too. And I don't know how to 
to handle these situations. And there's just so many barriers to that to, to even keep it going. And so people have to do not just an external overhaul, they have to do an internal overhaul. And I think that's really some of your goals with this podcast is how do we adjust and do the overhaul externally and internally so that we can maintain it and remain as healthy as possible. But, you know, with that imposter syndrome, it could be, you know, you've changed. I don't like you with this, you know, weight loss and I'll never be able to do it. So just those self-defeating beliefs that become bombarding in. And before you know it, people can self-sabotage. And we have to really consider the chemical process here too, because we can't just say we'll just will ourselves to health or talk ourselves into health. That's certainly helpful. But when we're feeling bad or anxious or sad, food is a drug. It, anything we put into our body produces a chemical response, oxygen, water, food. So when we're feeling sad, we go for those foods. It actually decreases that arousal in our brain that's negative and we get stuck on those negative thoughts. So if we start ingesting carbohydrates or sugary foods, it actually lowers that typically like an anterior cingulate part of your brain they get stuck on on negative thoughts and that actually reduces that so it's like taking medication and so if you think about i figured out a way to feel better through food and there's a side effect to everything you put in your body sometimes it's a negative side effect now the calories are increasing inflammation and now this negative arousal or negative state and so eat more right you you go to those other foods that allow you to feel better and so it becomes this perpetual process. It's the same thing that happens with addiction. And like you said, if a person was addicted to marijuana or another substance, they may not necessarily carry that around. They may not be able to be judged by others when they walk through Walmart. But certainly when you're wearing a concern or an issue, people know and there there can be shame and guilt. Yeah, you know, I totally forget about the chemical piece of this, but it's true. So when you are feeling bad, you're anxious, you're mad, you're bored, whatever the emotion is, rarely do we turn to a salad, right? Totally true, right. There's not, that's not comfort food. That doesn't give us remembrances or memories of home. It doesn't make us feel like, you know, we're close to our moms or, or whatever. So we tend to go for the food that releases, I'm sure, all sorts of endorphins or or whatever the happy chemicals are. Mm -hmm. You know, you brought up the point about people treating you differently. And I know some people get very uncomfortable with that. And, and I did too, except I kind of let some folks off the hook because here's what I realized as I was losing weight and working on internal issues that have kind of got me here. I treat me differently. I talk about myself differently. I look at myself differently. Things that I am no smarter now than I was 110 pounds ago. I mean, truly, I am no smarter. But now all of a sudden, when opportunities are out there, I see them because my confidence has changed. So that's, and I talk to myself very differently about whether or not that's something I could actually do or not. So I kind of let some people off the hook for that. Because I thought, you know, I was running around treating myself not as positively as I should have, not as not with as much love as I should have. So why would other people treat me like that? And mm -hmm. so now, and I'm not saying I've learned to love myself more because I lost weight. The weight is the byproduct. 
I love myself more because I've really gotten to know me. I feel like I am a valuable person through this transformation that I am making. It's not because I, when I was a 20, size 24, I wasn't a good person, a smart person. And now at a size six or a size eight, I'm smarter. It's because I see myself so differently. And that's, it's hard to have that conversation because a lot of people don't buy it because they're like, are you kidding me? You you look so much better. Well, yeah, that's, and I love that. And, sh- and clothes shopping is so much more fun. But what it did for me is it took away my anxiety around food because I've always, I'm 60 years old and I've always had all this anxiety around food. Like there was never going to be enough, which is sur- surely not true. It has helped me identify some passions in my life and some purpose in my life. I did a little post last week and one of the things I said, how I look doesn't even make the top five. Was that a surprise to you that how you look was not the top five? Yeah, it really was because from a societal standpoint, we are so focused on the physical and the appearances. I mean, in fact, if you look at, you know, social media, the bane of so many people's existence, you know, we're all comparing our insides and how we look and feel to a very polished and filtered outside. So it, we see that as a huge disconnect. Let me ask you a question. Let's switch gears. Willpower. I hate that word. I don't believe it exists. And I think all it does is make people feel weak and feel like they fail. That it is a word I wish we could get out of our vernacular altogether. What What are your thoughts on willpower? Oh, so this comes up a lot with change, right? Because people will even say, I need more motivation or I need more willpower. And there's some great research on it. And it's, I think Kelly McGonigal has done some great research. Roy Baumeister is is one of the persons in the beginning about willpower. And the word is really deceiving because it takes on that you have the ability to switch things on and off with ease. Right. And it also puts the ownership on the individual. It's kind of like burnout. People don't blame the system for burnout. They blame the individual. And so it's like, well, if you had enough willpower, then you would just lose the weight. And there's just so much more to that. However, when you do look at chemistry and the biochemical process that people do operate with different hormonal changes and neurotransmitter changes throughout the day, week, month, year etc. People tend to have the ability or strength to choose at different times of the day. And for some people, choice and willpower synonymous, meaning when I wake up in the morning, I don't consider myself a morning person, but I do tend to do my best, meaning I'm a little bit more focused mid-morning I I do seem to be more driven. And as the day goes on, there is a chemical process that my choices, almost like a a tank that I wake up and have a full tank in the morning, the choices become a little bit harder for me as the day goes on. And this occurs too with weight management is that if people have a typical work day of, you know, let's say nine to five, if that still exists anymore, then then you do wake up, it's kind of sluggish, and then you're on it right? Your, your memory, your drive, adrenaline, energy, all those things are at a better place. And then as the day goes on, it's like decision fatigue. 
it's like I've made decisions about this and that took a draw on my tank and I did this. And so in the evening, it's like, I just want pizza, right? I want ice cream. I don't have the will to fight or to hold back anymore. And I think that that's true with other things. Now, I don't know the numbers, but I would say this is the majority. Not everybody's like that. They work different shifts. Their, their circadian rhythms different with sleep and blah, blah, blah. But I think the ability to choose can be, you can, it can get worn away sometimes daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, wherever we are in our lives. So on the other side of that, well, how do we develop that? How do we get more strength and ability to have choices where we can? First of all, I think we need to realize what is in our circle of influence. Mm-hmm. Meaning I can have 100% willpower or the ability to choose, but I can't change another human being. So I need to, that's outside my circle of influence, but I can adjust me more, especially if I know how. And Amazon does not sell willpower. So we do have to calculate how our day looks or week looks and plan accordingly as much as possible so that we're not using all the, the fuel. So when I open my phone and I scroll I'm using, I'm pulling from that tank. I'm choosing to scroll up or left, right, to engage, not engage. Those are choices. And so even when you look at some of these corporate owners, they'll tend to wear similar things. Steve Jobs is a perfect example of that. I don't know another, other people do this, but they always wore like t-shirt and jeans, right? And so they, that's yeah. one last decision that they have to make every day. And that's even with diet and exercise, if it's just a non-negotiable, that it's, it's just what you do each day or you prep for the next day. And so it doesn't deplete that tank anymore. And I find that if I'm 99% committed to something, that is so much harder than 100% commitment. Meaning if I wake up and I exercise every morning, so if I go, mm, I don't know if I'm going to do it today, right? I'm not, I'm not 100% committed. Like I'm starting to question. And do I have the motivation, the drive, the choice, the willpower, whatever you want to call it? And so it's a lot of work to be 99% committed. However, if I just look at it as it's a thing, it's just what I do, it's 100% commitment. And I don't have to think, I don't have to use the energy of the visual factor. I just do. Or if I drive by Chick-fil-A and know that they have this wonderful peach milkshake, right? And it's in season. If I'm 99% committed to not going, then I, my car is going to start to pull in the parking lot pretty quick, right? 100%, it's a no-go. Like 100%, yeah. it's not on my, and it's not me being good. That's the other thing. You know, a lot of times people equate will willpower with being good or bad or good choices or bad. That needs to be eliminated and it needs to be looked at as, I'm making choices in accordance to my goals or against my goals. So if I I know what to do and I'm really clear on that, then that's where I need to just say, I I, I made an alternative choice, you know, for or against my goals right now. That's not good or bad. I'm not a bad person. It's not bad food. It's just on my plan, in my goals or off my plan, outside my goals. I'm so glad you said that because that's where everybody beats themselves up. And then that triggers, well, I've already screwed up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I might as well make the rest of the day uh, even worse. It doesn't matter. You know, you said something that is that I learned about maybe a month or two into when I started losing weight. I realized that if I, and this was before, by the way, I read Atomic Habits. 
by James mm-hmm. Clear, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I found out in, in uh, retrospect that I was doing exactly what he was talking about and what you're talking about, which is building yourself up for success, building that infrastructure so that it's just part of your day. So I learned that if I packed my lunch every night before I went to work, the next day. I ate that lunch. So I had breakfast at home because I always eat breakfast at home. And then I had lunch. And then when I came home for and had dinner, I was 100% in control of whatever I ate that day. Now, other stuff could happen and often did, but I always, and still do, by the way, pack my lunch every day before I go. It's just what I do. I do not leave it to chance. I work in a hospital. We know they don't have the healthiest food. I do not leave it to chance to to see what else is out there because sure, as I'm sitting here, that means fast food, pizza, whatever, and it's not going to help me stay within my goals. I love what you said about decision fatigue because that is such a true thing. It is a real thing. And so instead of people getting so mad at themselves and so down on themselves, understanding that process, I think is going to be a huge aha moment for a lot of people listening to this podcast. So what do we do? So, uh, other than one, one thing you just said that I love, which is reducing the number of decisions you have to make every day, right? Mm-hmm. So that you don't put all that effort into it. So what else? What else can people do to reduce the decision fatigue and help us stop the negative or reduce the the negative self-talk? I think part of this too is commitment and confidence. So believing in what you're doing and seeing the value in it and recognizing the rewards when you adhere to your plan, recognizing that that takes energy and effort and have some why, why am I doing this? You know, a lot of times people, even with depression, they they struggle to live. And it's like, do I go on? The why? Why are they want to do this? Because I want to be able to to be able to get on the floor with my grandchild and be able to stand up without aid because I my knees are working well and my back pain is less. You know, so those whys are really important. And again, uh, having that commitment, and you know, this is going to sound silly, but one of the things that I read about confidence is, and even having self-confidence is, is broken down into two words. Con means with, C-O-N is with, and fidence is like fidelity or fidery, and it's something equivalent to trust. So with trust, confidence is with trust. And it can even start with getting out of the bed. If I set my alarm at 5 a.m., if I hit snooze, I can't even trust myself to get out at alarm set at 5 a.m. <laughs> and do I snooze it one more time? Again, it's another decision. So decision fatigue can even start before you even lift your head off the pillow, right? Because yeah. I, do I snooze one more time? What else do I have to do? Do I skip my shower today? And so doing things, keeping that commitment, when I say I'm going to do something, then every time I do it, That is confidence. I'm building trust in myself. And that replicates with other people, you know, as well. And people will start to trust us even more. I'm a person with commitment. And so, again, those are other things that in having those structure, and like you mentioned, atomic habits is great because they talk about habit stacking, right? And so pairing things together. When I had to shift becoming a dad, 
where I like to exercise in the evening, I couldn't do that anymore after work. I need to get home. So I had to shift my workouts to the morning and I committed to 30 minutes every morning. Well, it was hard to get up, but I realized if I put my clothes, workout clothes at the next to my bed. So as soon as my feet hit the ground, they hit my clothes. I was so much closer to working out and less excuse. And the more I could even just pre-plan for the following day, I was able to just go 100% commitment, no choice, not 99% committed, but 100% committed, and I could follow through so much easier. And when those doubtful thoughts come up, there's a lot of different techniques that can even be used from cognitive behavioral therapy. But an easier one and a really fun one to learn isn't my idea. It came from Dr. Daniel Amen and his team, but he uses cognitive behavioral therapy in the, and he calls it ANT. And what ANTs are, automatic negative thoughts, A-N-T. And so when you think about ANTs, especially if you live in the South like us, right? ANTs are everywhere and they can come all the time in all different forms and variations. So we need to understand when we have those ANTs. If it's a if it's a little ant, we just shoo it to the side. You know, it may be annoying, it may get in the way, but we just shoo it to the side or squish it or whatever else. If there's a bunch of ants, you know, if you go in your kitchen and there's a thousand ants in there, we've got a bigger problem. The same thing happens in our brain that if we just have a little thought, eh, annoying, right? It's natural. A bunch of them, we've got a problem. Our brain is infested with negative thoughts. And so the first thing is identifying what they are. If I tell myself, well, I'll never be successful, or I can't keep the weight off, or I'll never be healthy, or the world's against me, you know, these are big negative thoughts. And so I have to identify what they are. And so that's the second step. So writing it out, what is this negative thought? And number two is identifying what kind of ant is it? And he calls them species. And these are really common self-defeating beliefs. So the species, he has nine of them. One of them he calls mind reading. So mind reading is if I go to this party, people are going to judge me, think negatively about my appearance. And so the second step is identifying the species. The species is mind reading. And mind reading is I know what other people are thinking about me. And it tends to be really negative. And so that could really shut me down, right? I'm not going to socialize. I'm not going to go where people are judging me. The third step is the final step on how to reduce these ants or maybe even eliminate them is to come up with a rational alternative thought. And this is hard because you're changing the way your brain is firing. You're actually adjusting neural pathways. It's about as easy as changing which hand you're right with, but it can be done, right? In, in your evidence, Gretchen, doing this, right? You're overcoming and you're changing. And so the third step is coming up with a rational alternative to that ant. Like, I don't know what people were thinking, right? It's me really probably telling myself these negative messages. So the reality is probably not true. People are into what they're wearing and making their own impressions, not about me or what I look like as much. So I'm going to show up to this social gathering. I'm going to be less judgmental of others and focus on just having the time and interacting with others. And if someone's judging me, it's probably okay. That means they're probably look good or maybe they're jealous or whatever it is. I can be okay <laughs> That's with right. that. That's right. <laughs> I 
I can't tell you how much I love all of this. I mean, this is exactly what I needed to hear. I think it's what a lot of people need to hear. I definitely would like to continue this conversation, but I know that we've come to the end of our time. I can't thank you enough. I think this is a topic that we need to talk about more and more and more because the more information we have, the better we understand, the less we are filling in the blanks ourselves. And when we fill in the blanks to try to explain things, we all know it goes to a negative place. We rarely fill in those blanks and it turns out being, wow, this is awesome. It just doesn't go that way. So I know that a lot of us struggle with those negative thoughts and even prioritizing our health. We didn't get into that as much as as we as I thought we might, but but that's good because that will be our next one. We're right. going to talk about that and talking about how to navigate people who are sabotaging our efforts because that's such a huge thing. But everything that you've talked about today and all of the the new insights you've brought, I know are going to be super helpful. A quick reminder that this podcast will be available on my website, GretchenHolmesPhD.com. Make sure you check it out. You'll find some really valuable resources along with my previous podcasts. Be sure and drop me a line if you'd like while you're there, because I would love to hear from you. Finally, from me to you, remember to love and celebrate yourself now. Today is the only way to good health. Until next time. This information presented on the podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. 